Hello, everybody. This is Steve Hutto, and thank you for stopping by and checking out my podcast. I am with Harvest Celebration Ministries, a missions organization reaching into the great nations of India and in Central America to Honduras. And uh, we preach the gospel. We encourage pastors and we help build churches in India. We work with uh, a pastor in Honduras and uh, to help uh, reach the people of Honduras. We sponsor, uh, provide sponsorships for children in Honduras, needy children. Um, check us out at www.harvcel.com. That's H-A-R-V-C-E-L.com. And I want to encourage you today because I feel like in these last days, those who are followers of Jesus need to be encouraged. I feel like that's my calling in life in these last days is to sort of be a cheerleader and also one who would get behind you to push you a little bit uh, to take a stand in these last days for Jesus and to take a stand for His righteousness that we live and walk in based on His Word. You see, we live in a time uh, where darkness seems to be growing it seems to abound. You know, you can just look around, listen, look at the news and see the things that are going on in our own nation, in Washington, things that are going on in business. You can see the corruption that's running rampant in the world. You can see the blatant profession of sin by many people. I mean, you know, there, there are people that are evil today that just come out and, and say what they want to do in an evil sense. There's, there's no stealthness to it anymore. There's, you know, there's no inconspicuousy. They're just blatant about it. And, and it seems like the darkness is growing. And you know, you could get discouraged if you are truly a follower of Christ and you see all this stuff happening and it seems like nothing is happening for the kingdom of, of God. But listen, I'm here to tell you, <laughs> that's not the case. You know, the scripture says, and Paul said in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, he's talking about the law, but it's the principle there. The law was brought in to, to enhance or amplify our sin to show us our need for a Savior. And he said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You know, see, that's the principle I want you to understand today. Where sin increased, well, you know, some versions say where sin abounds or abounded, grace abounded all the more. Well, you know, to abound means uh, to have an abundance or to be in abundance, to have more than enough. So where sin is abundant, the scripture says that grace is even more abundant. Where sin increased, uh, grace abounds all the more. So it doesn't matter at what level sin is at. If you had a level meter where you could measure the degree of sin, you know, the seriousness of it, the thickness of it, or whatever, the mass of sin, you know, if you had that, that level meter and sin is always increasing, let me tell you something, my friend, grace is always far ahead of and far above sin. Where sin abounds, where sin increased or increases as we see it today, grace abounds even more. So no matter how dark it gets, your light, if you understand this, 
and know how to let it shine gets even brighter. And I've said this all my my saved career, (laughs) where, uh, you know, the darker the night, here's what it is, the darker the night, the brighter your light. The darker the night, the brighter your light. I remember one time when I was probably seven or eight years old, we took a a, a vacation to uh, the Gatlinburg, Tennessee area, And one day we took a little trip and we went to these caverns and this tour guide took us a mile and a half back into these caverns. Now, now these were not little caves that you had to crawl through or bend down. I mean, these were huge rooms that you could throw a rock to try to throw a, a rock from one wall to the other and not even get a fraction of the way. I mean, these were huge caverns. And I was fascinated. There, there were streams. In, in the caverns running through like little creeks, little rivers. Uh, and um, there, were, there were little creatures in there like, you know, crawfish, crawdads, whatever you want to call them. Depends on where you're from. And they were all albino because uh, there, there was no sunlight in there. But, of course, they had lights all throughout the caverns. They were beautiful. They had the stalactites and the stalagmites. And, and so we get to one point and, and our tour guide says, Now, I'm going to show you what total darkness is all about. And I'm thinking, okay, this sounds cool. So he said, now we're going to turn the lights off. Don't anybody move. Stay right where you are, especially especially after we turn the lights off. He said, we're going to turn the lights off and I'm going to give you about five minutes for your eyes to adjust, adjust so you'll know. He said, there is absolutely no light coming into this room except the lights, the electric lights that we have. So he turns the lights off. We wait a few minutes, and it was extreme darkness. I have never experienced anything like it. I mean, it, you know, he said, now put your hand in front of your face and wave it. And I had, I had a little ring on my finger that I thought, you know, would glow, not glow, but reflect whatever light that might be in there. Nothing. I mean, man, it was completely, completely dark. And he said, this is total darkness. And then he said, now, I'm going to walk over here. He knew where to go, of course, being the tour guide. And he said, I'm going to strike a match. I'm going to just strike a little match. And he was way over on the other side of the, the big cavernous room in, you know, in this cave. He struck a match. And that little light from the match caused everybody to have to cover their eyes at first because it was so bright in the midst of that darkness. And every time I say this, you know, the darker the night, the brighter your light. I think of that story way back in my childhood. And I'm going to tell you something, my friends. The darker it gets, the darker sin increases, the light of Jesus Christ, not shining from heaven, but listen, in you is brighter than ever before. Now, I'm making this recording. I'm doing this teaching to encourage you and to show you that it doesn't matter how dark it gets in these last days. The light of Jesus is in you and potentially that light through you in the midst of the darkness can not only change your life, it already has, but definitely will impact the light, the life of others. Now, here's the thing though. In these last days, to take a stand upon Jesus and His kingdom principles means that you will stick out like a sore thumb. In other words, the darker the night, if you live for Jesus, the brighter your light. 
Now, the dark of a night, if you decide you want to just kind of you know, let go and relax and flow with the world, your light starts to dim until at some point, if you're not walking with and living for Jesus, even as a, a born-again believer, you don't have a... I mean, you've got the light, but it's not shining and it can't be seen and you look just like the world. And so in this day and time, in these last days, in these darkest of days, for some believers and for many believers, it's so easy to either give up or just to feel like you need to blend in the world, blend in with the world and into the world so that you will not have uh, any resistance in your path, in your walk. And let me tell you something, if you want your light to shine for Jesus, if you want the grace of God in you to abound even more than the increasing sin, then you cannot take the path of least resistance. Did you hear that? If you feel urgent, the urgency inside of you, to, or maybe if you're just bothered by the things going on in the world today, then God's already speaking to you. But listen, in order for you, you know, you, you have to pray. That's where it all starts. I mean, you've got to have a prayer relationship with God. You, that's where you get your fuel. That's where you feed. I mean, that's where He encourages you and me. And that's where He lifts us up. And that's when we build ourselves up on our most holy faith from communing and being with God and having a, an ever-going, ever-growing relationship with Jesus as we walk out this life with Him. You gotta have that. And then when you walk out of that prayer closet in that, that war room, so to speak, then you're gonna walk with Jesus. And you do have to make decisions that sometimes you really would rather not make of, uh, of the choices you have to make, the positions, the stances you have to take. You have to make some of those choices and they're not fun and they may be against the popularity of the crowd you're in. And it might make you look like someone that's either, you know, disagrees or hates or going some other way. But all you're doing is you're standing on the principles of God and you refuse to change your stance. But listen, the scripture also says in Matthew 24 that in the last days, if he can, the enemy will try to deceive even the very elect, even the very chosen ones, the scripture says. So we have to be careful of that. And, and, and let me tell you what, what this is all about. There are, there are the born-again, spirit-filled believers in Jesus Christ that embrace theologies and political platforms, if you will, that oppose the Word of God. How could a person who is a believer in Jesus embrace a teaching or embrace an ideal or a political platform that opposes the Word of God? That I mean, diametrically opposes the Word of God. How could they do that? There's only one way they could do that and still be saved. Nobody's judging whether they're saved or not. I'm not. This is how it happens. Deception. Deception. People are deceived into believing one thing, and deception not only fools a person, but a de but listen, deception uh, introduces rationalization to a person. That's a form of deception. You know, deception can be 
you know, you can be fooled, you can be deceived, but deception is also when you start rationalizing things that give you the feeling that it's okay to do what you're doing. Well, everybody else does it. Well, what does God say about it? Oh, I don't know, but everybody else does it. Everybody else believes that. I mean, you know, they make it a racial thing. If, you know, if you're a certain race, then you have to embrace this political platform. But that's not true. Jesus, Jesus died for everybody of all colors. We're all one body. We're made up of many members, but we're one body when it comes down to it. It's the body of Jesus Christ. So, you know, that's why a believer must be anchored into the Word of God. That's why a believer cannot avoid deception by just going to church once or twice a month or once a week and only cracking their Bible open when the pastor preaches. That's why people fall into deception. And especially if you're a believer and you don't ever open your Bible or you don't ever pray. And you know, you know you're saved. You're, you know, that's not an issue. You know you're going to go to heaven when you die. But you're not walking with Jesus today. That opens the door for deception. And deception, again, comes in the form of just, just being duped by the enemy. And it also comes in the form of rationalization. Well, you know, everybody else believes that, so I'm going to do it. But the, again, the bottom line is this. What does the Word say about it? You know, the book of James, let me see if I can go over there, says that friendship with the world is hostility or enmity toward God. Friendship with the world is hostility or enmity toward God. You know, that's that's a pretty... Uh, actually, that's, that's a very strong statement that James made. In James 4.4, 4, James says these words, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Friendship with the world. You know, you can't be a part of the world anymore because you're born again if you're truly born again. So the best you can do is be a friend of the world. And to become a friend of the world is a mockery, basically, of the salvation that you, you, you claim to stand in. And it makes yourself out to be hostile or an enemy of God. And so a lot of people, if they knew this, they would say, I don't want to be an enemy of God. But if they would examine their lifestyle and and the things that they believe and embrace that are contrary to the Word of God, they would see why it's easy, if you don't know the Word of God, to be hostile toward God by becoming friendly with the world. You know, I, I don't know any person that lives that still deals with the old man, even though he is, he's dead. <laughs> I, don't know anyone, I don't know anyone that still doesn't have to crucify the flesh daily that deals with their own pride. I mean, we all have that tendency to want to put ourselves first. We all have that tendency to not want to look bad in the eyes of the general public, no matter whether it's the world or the church. You know, that's, that's that selfishness part of us or I mean the self part of us, if you will, that wants to promote ourselves above anything else. You know, we want to look out for number one. Now, I'm not saying that everybody just goes hog wild doing that that are Christians. 
But at the same time, I am saying we all battle with that. And this is one of the ways that the enemy wants you to become friendly with the world. But you see, when, when, when all is said and done, the world's going to pass away according to 1 John, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 15 in that area. The world and all everything it has to do with it is going to pass away. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's all going to pass away. So to become, why would you want to become friendly with something, number one, that opposes God, and number two, that is only temporal, it will not last, and number three, you reap what you sow. So if you've sown into the world as a Christian, I don't care if you are a Christian, you're still going to reap where you've sown, from where you've sown. So let me encourage you by saying this. Take a stand for Jesus in these last days. Because I have no doubt, there is no question, that God will do great feats and great exploits through through those who see what's going on, who see that we need to pray for our nation, who see that we need to pray for the body of Christ, God will do great exploits through such people as these. And you can look and see that we need a renewal in the body of Christ. You know, I teach on revival a lot, and you know, there's there's this teaching, <coughs> excuse me, and it is true that if you want revival, you've got to pray for revival. But you know, God never set a time limit, even though it happens on certain time limits, and it has happened in the past on certain time limits that, oh, our church prayed for so many years and then revival came. So we have this, this idea that it's an all-works thing that in order to have revival, we've got to pray for a certain length of time. And, and then so the result is we don't really want to pray, so we don't go into revival. We, we never have revival because we just don't pray. I mean, that's the mindset because of the way it's happened in some churches and some areas of the world in the past. But the truth of the matter is this. Listen, my friend. Revival begins the moment you decide you want to have revival. You don't pray for so long and then God moves and you say, oh, this is revival. Revival starts with a decision. Where those places and those churches prayed for so many years and revival came... It started with a commitment to have revival. And they knew that to draw closer to God, you've got to pray. The timing was up to God. Don't let the timing of other past experiences say, well, I don't really want to pray that long, but you know, if I won't have revival, I, I just, I'm not that type of a prayer warrior. But the thing is, to have revival, you first decide you want to have revival. And I firmly believe that when you make that decision and you mean it, that's when revival starts. And going to God in prayer, which leads to repentance, will lead to the outpouring of God's Spirit that we're believing for. But revival starts with that decision to pray. And I'm saying that because... We need revival in the body of Christ. Status quo won't get it anymore. Mediocrity won't get it anymore. Business as usual won't get it anymore. The enemy will not stop at any degree, at any point, as he opposes those who are in the body of Christ. 
The enemy will not stop to try to gain power over a nation that for so many years was free to spread the gospel to the rest of the world. He won't stop. The enemy will not stop coming against people that are potentially uh, candidates for the power of God to move through. He won't stop. He's not going to give up. He won't stop at any cost. So why should we take our walk nonchalantly like it doesn't really mean anything knowing that the enemy is he is devoted to destruction of those who walk for Jesus. Now, back to this. Where sin abounds, that's where the enemy is. Grace abounds, that's where God is even more. Grace increases even more. So if you decide to have revival, you decide to walk in the devil, demon-defeating power of God Almighty. That's what it is. You know, don't sit around and ponder, oh, what will Satan do to me if I stir him up? Instead, what you need to ponder is, when I decide to get serious with God, the grace of God and the power of God in me and upon me abounds over anything that the enemy could come up with. And the scripture says this in Luke 10, 19. Jesus said, Behold, I have given unto you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Those are devils and demons. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you. That word authority from the Greek is exousia. And that means he's given us power. He's given us domain. He's given us authority. He's given us jurisdiction. You know, it's like a, a sheriff or a police officer. You know, he upholds the law with the power of his weapons and, and his cruiser and, and all the equipment they give him, but he is empowered to do those things by the badge that he wears. That's, that gives, that's what gives him the jurisdiction to use whatever techniques he's trained to do to uphold the law. And God has given you authority He's given you power and that is in the name of Jesus and the calling upon your life and the walk with which you walk uh, out with Him to walk over the power of the enemy. Again, Jesus said, Behold, watch this. Look here. <laughs> See this. I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means injure you. In John chapter 14, I believe, uh, uh, Jesus said this, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. This is John fourteen thirteen, So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He's talking now on this side of the cross to you and me if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, why am I saying all this? I, I hope it makes sense because, to be honest with you, I just open the mic and I want to start teaching. I just want to start encouraging. I'm saying all this because God wants to do, Jesus wants to do great exploits through you and through me. He, he was driven to come to the earth by His love for the Father and His love for mankind. You know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish but will have eternal life. But my friend, He was also driven to go back to the Father. Again, because He loved the Father. But another point I want you to understand is He was driven to go back to the Father 
yes, he left his glory, he left his kingly uh, priesthood and his his uh, priestly duties and all those, you know, he left, left his status, if you will, but he was also driven to go back to the Father so that once he gets back to the Father at the right hand of God, he could send forth the promise of the Father. And when he sent forth the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh, the church was born, and we have available to us the power of God to witness to the nations of the world. Listen, my friend, we are on the winning side. We're on the side that wins. We're on the side that's the best equipped. We're on the side of the one who's already won the victory. We just have to walk it out now. It's just like Jehoshaphat and all Judah. God, they sought him and God said, Look, you don't even have to fight the battle. I just want you to go out there, face the enemy, and watch me defeat them in your eyes for your sake. We got to stand up. Our Jesus has won the war. We may have to stand up and watch him uh, win some battles because he's already won the war, but we have to stand, my friends. We have to stand for Jesus in these last days. We have to do what his word says. We have to be anchored to his word because Satan will try his very best to deceive you in these last days. If you don't know the Word of God, you cannot know enough of the Word of God. Let me encourage you, feed upon the Word of God, speak the Word of God, confess the Word of God over your life and your situation and your family. And when you pray, don't just pray words, pray the words of God. I pray that you're encouraged by this teaching today. And I pray that you'll walk out of wherever you're listening from and remember that you are an ambassador for Christ. You are a warrior for Christ. You're on the team that's already won. Let's go out there and realize and appropriate the victory. God bless you. Thanks again for logging on. Have a wonderfully blessed day.